So today we're enrolling five new members of the Salvation Army Napa Corps. Amen. Amen. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Here in the Salvation Army, we refer to our church as a corps and to our corps members as soldiers, and we expect them to be involved in the life and activities of the church and community that we are in. Uh, this isn't really any different than any other church membership, uh, but we in the Salvation Army are very mission-oriented in what we as a church body do. Our mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. And as part of that mission, we want every one of our church members to focus very much on what they can do to help others. And we want all of them to do so with a level of intensity that rivals that of the 16th century Spanish explorer Hernan Cortez. I know that just took an odd turn, didn't it? <laughs> now, stick with me. It'll make sense. I, I don't want to come across, by the way, as saying that Cortez himself should ever be emulated because he was a ruthless and arrogant conquistador who committed atrocities and murders on a grand scale as he uh, invaded and subdued what is now known as Mexico. But he could be admired because he did so with conviction and an intense focus on accomplishing his goal. When he and his men landed in Veracruz, Cortez was worried that his guys were gonna decide the task before them was too great, and so uh, they would then abandon him and return to Cuba, uh, the life of luxury that they were enjoying before he roped them into this little expedition. So uh, instead of of uh, launching right away into his invasion. First he had all his men beach and then burn their ships. They wanted to make sure that everyone pushed on towards the goal. That's intensity. It set them on a course they could not give up on and it let his men know there was no turning back. And the same thing really happens when you become a member of a church. I mean, well, hopefully without the bloodshed and the false doctrines and destroying an Aztec nation and all that stuff. That's all bad. But definitely on par with setting your eyes on a goal that you are not going to turn away from. Joining a church body is a way of making a place for you to remain faithful. It takes commitment to succeed, but it comes with great rewards. And my hope is that everyone, everywhere, comes to recognize this, and that in the end, all of us choose to commit ourselves to the Lord and to serve Him alongside a local faith body. Now, before we started today, we had Psalm 37, verses 1 through 7 read, because it lays out what we, as members of God's family, should be focusing on in our day-to-day -day lives. So, if you flip there in your Bibles, you're going to... Uh, find that I'm going to pull three key ideas out of this passage that give our lives as believers and as Salvation Army soldiers a little bit of focus. Uh, for those of you who might be watching who are not Salvationists, don't worry. These are all things that apply to every follower of Jesus, not just to people who put on a funny uniform. <laughs> look back at uh, Psalm 37, look at verses 3 and 4. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. This really comes down to one big idea. Do good for God. 
if we trust in God, we will do what he asks us to do, right? That's, that's kind of the basic idea. That's what trust means here. And what he asks us to do is to do good. I ran across this poem from someone in Christian Cheong. I think it illustrates the need that we have to do good. Now, I'll tell you the title after I read the poem. It says, I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so close to God, but I am still very hungry and lonely and cold. This poem is called Sin of Doing Nothing. In uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, the brother of Jesus says this. He says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a nice day, stay warm, eat well, but you don't give that person any food or any clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. As followers of Jesus, we know that we're commanded to live by the golden rule. Uh, you remember that one, right? That's when Jesus said, we need to do to others what we want them to do to us. So when we see someone in need, then it becomes our responsibility to step up and find a way to meet that need. Or at least to help get them pointed in the right direction. If we see someone who's being oppressed or mistreated, it becomes our responsibility to get involved on their behalf. If we see someone who's locked up, it's our responsibility to find a way to set them free. And, and i got to tell you, none of these things mean that we let them escape consequences for their, their actions, or that we provide a life of ease while we live a life of toil. That's not what that's supposed to be about. But what it all does mean is that we must take a proactive role in helping those in need reduce or eliminate that need. Just like we would want someone to do for us. As soldiers in the Salvation Army, we expect you to live by the mission of the Salvation Army to meet human needs without discrimination in the name of Jesus. Those are your marching orders as you uh, walk through life every day. Open your eyes, see the need that's around you, and then do what you can to meet it. Now you might find this idea a little overwhelming at times because when we look, one of the first things that we notice is there is a lot of need out there. Don't let that frighten you. God never expects anyone to do more than they can, even though he always expects us to do what we can. Does that make sense? For some people, it might be you help one person. For other people, you might set up a system or agency that helps thousands of people. We all kind of have our own role in life. That role sometimes can be hard to cope with, especially if you're not helping people for the right reasons. Um, which brings us to our second point, which is from Psalm 37, verses 5 and 6, where it says to commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. 
So whatever we do, we should do it all for God so that we can shine his glory, right? We should never be motivated by personal gain. Not even by God's promise that he has rewards stored up for us in the next life. Rather than, than acting like mercenaries chasing a big payday, we should simply serve in gratitude and trust in the Lord to help us with the things that we need. And when we do that, we will find that we have resources to do so much more than we ever thought was possible. I read a story about a, a soldier who was wounded in the Civil War, and he called for the chaplain to come and see him. And the chaplain came expecting that this, this gravely injured young man was going to have him pray for recovery from his terrible wounds. But that wasn't it at all. First, the soldier said, please cut off the lock of my hair and send it to my mother so that she can remember me. And then he said, please kneel and thank God for me. And the chaplain was like, what, what for? So well, thank him for giving me a mother like this. Thank God that I'm a Christian and thank God for giving me grace to die with. And thank God for the home that he's promised me over there. So this chaplain, who was supposed to be God's representative, knelt down and prayed this prayer of gratitude without a single petition in it. And in that moment, that chaplain realized that he was the one being ministered to. It wasn't him doing the ministering. As much as he was supposed to be there for this injured man, the injured man was there to teach him a lesson. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 reads, Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. As followers of Jesus, we are representatives of Jesus. As some have said, we are his hands in the world until he returns. The, the things that Jesus did are the things that we are supposed to do. We are supposed to feed the hungry. We're supposed to clothe those in need. We're supposed to take in the foreigner and treat them like family. We're supposed to heal the sick, visit prisoners, love our enemies and each other. That last one's sometimes tough. But if we are not doing these things, we are not Christians. The word Christian was first used as an epithet. It was a way to curse out the people who followed Jesus. It means little Christ. And it referred to the way that his followers acted just like they were Jesus. <coughs> so if you're doing everything for God, what happens is you find that you're doing everything like Jesus did. And if you're not doing everything like Jesus, then you're not a little Christ. You're failing to represent as a soldier in the Salvation Army, you have to embrace the mission that's set before us by Jesus. We're to share the gospel by meeting human needs in his name without discrimination. When you sign your soldier's covenant, which some of you will be doing momentarily, you're signing a vow to make serving others a priority in your life. Not because you're doing that for the Salvation Army, but because you're committing everything to the Lord. And that's the same for every follower of Jesus in whatever walk of life they happen to be on. In order to do everything for the Lord, though, you need to prepare yourself so that you can respond in a godly fashion. Which brings us to our third point. Do prepare for God. Which is what we read in Psalm 37, verse 7. It says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. 
It's not about other people, it's about you. And to be still in this sense is to be silent. It means to listen and to wait. Uh, a friend of mine is fond of saying, don't run out in front of God. Wait for him to move and go where he goes. But humans aren't very good at waiting, generally. We're, we are terrible at it. In fact, maybe I'm personalizing a bit. I am terrible at it. We tend to believe we have to choose between fight and flight, but God says we should be waiting and listening instead. I remember this one assignment that uh, we were given in a class I had way back in junior high. Um, it was a page that had about two dozen instructions written on it, and each one had its own numbered line, and the first line said, read all instructions before starting. And the second line said, write your name here in blue ink. And I don't remember all the steps in between there, but there was one that you're supposed to fold it into a paper airplane and see how far you can make it go across the classroom. And another one, you're supposed to tear off a corner and then tape it back on exactly so that it didn't look like you torn it off. And now you're supposed to fold the top edge down and staple it closed. And like I said, there were about two dozen instructions, um, some of which were pretty destructive to those four pieces of paper we were carrying around, folding, tearing, stapling, and scribbling on. And every kid in class had all these in, in like a slightly different order. So we were all running around doing different things, trying to get to the stapler on the teacher's desk, trying to get over here where we threw the airplane, whatever. And uh, it was kind of chaotic and exciting, which is probably why I remember it. Most school days were not that exciting. Until we reached the last instruction. The last instruction on the page said, ignore all of the instructions except the first one and this one. Turn your paper over and write your name on the back. No. <laughs> By then, there was no going back and pretending you hadn't done it. I tried. Let me erase all these things and get enough spin on the paper. Maybe you won't see that I folded it into an airplane. <laughs> we had failed to be still and wait to see what we were supposed to do. We just ran with it thinking we knew. In uh, Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus taught, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it will not collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Before they started putting the modular in next door, I read this to the architect. Just wanted to make sure that he had his plans in place. We don't want any mighty crashes. As, as believers in Jesus and his message, we need to practice being still and waiting on God. And in that stillness, we need to remember we have to spend time in God's word, reading and considering the teaching of Jesus and the command that he's given us to follow. We need to spend time in prayer, Sharing our questions and our concerns and our hopes and our joys and the rest of our lives with God. We should spend time in meditation, listening to the Spirit and, and following its leading when the time is right. When the Lord acts and invites us to come along, don't get ahead of God. Wait and see where he goes and go with him. And this is no different for soldiers of the Salvation Army than it is for any other believer. When we commit ourselves to the Lord, as every one of us should do, we need to practice that commitment. Because it's things that we practice are the things that we do. We want our commitment, our following God, to be automatic. 
we need to let the ways of God replace the ways of the world, and then we'll find that we prosper and that we're granted the deepest desires of our heart. And those deepest desires, when you're following God's will, might turn out to be different than the ones you thought they were going to be originally. That's what comes from listening and waiting and learning. Now, as I call on these five individuals to commit themselves to God, and I know you guys are like, there's only four of us at this table. Don't worry. There's five of you here today. As I call on these five individuals to commit themselves to God and the soldiership in the Salvation Army, I'm calling on every other person to commit themselves as well. You might have your own denominational focus, you might have your own worship style, but we all share the same call to do good for God, do everything as if it were for God, and to prepare so that we can represent God to the world, especially those people who were able to serve as a result of our focusing on God instead of ourselves. Remaining faithful takes commitment, but the rewards are innumerable. So don't be afraid to burn any boats that might tempt you to turn back from your goal. Press forward. Commit yourself to the Lord wholeheartedly by making yourself a follower of the way of Jesus in all things. Right, now, it's a little odd trying to do this primarily to a video camera, but let me call you to the altar to pray. And if you are willing to devote yourself to this path, let me call you to the altar to pray. And maybe this altar is somewhere you've been a hundred times. Maybe it's somewhere you've never gone before. Maybe you've never brought yourself to God before. The Apostle Paul wrote that we should make ourselves living sacrifices. And that's really what coming to the altar is. It's, it's um, well, we use the language and the symbolism of, of coming forward and kneeling at a prayer rail as a way to say that each person should simply take a moment and open their hearts and their minds to the Lord and offer themselves to serve others with the love that he provides to all of us in, in abundance. Whether others make it easy for us to love them or not is not the point. The point is that we are serving God, that we are, are giving to others because we're grateful for what God has given to us. Life and breath and love and companionship and gifts and talents and a whole lot of ourselves that we could share with others. If you are willing and able to commit yourselves to God, kneel down at that altar in your heart and let's pray together. Lord, we come before you as servants. Some of us are highly trained and ready for anything, but most of us are just us and we don't really know what you want us to do or how to do it. So we offer ourselves to you, the creator, knowing that you can take each of us whomever and wherever we are, and mold us into something so much greater and more useful than we ever imagined was possible. Turn us into your instruments to work on repairing the world around us. Show us how we can be the hands of Jesus, binding the wounds and celebrating the joys around us, just the way that you do, Lord. Take our lives and let them be set apart for you for now and for always. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. 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 Amen.